back in 2000, the year 2000, if you wanted to see a movie in your home, it required you to go to one of the 9,000 blockbuster stores and wander up and down aisles filled with DVDs in order to select what you wanted. Blockbuster reigned supreme when it came to watching a video or a movie that you wish to see. One day that same year in 2000, Reed Hastings, who was the founder of a fledgling startup, met with the CEO of Blockbuster, John Anatico, and he proposed a partnership between his fledgling startup and Blockbuster where movies would be delivered over the Internet. Reed was laughed out of the office. So fast forward, 10 years, 2010. That fledgling startup, Netflix, had become the largest source of streaming Internet traffic in North America. And Blockbuster, gone in bankruptcy. Change. Change has a very squirrely nature to it, though, doesn't it? Because on the one hand, if it's change and we choose it, what do we do? We embrace it. Ah, this is good stuff. But what about change that's forced on us? We resist it, don't we? Something deep inside reacts strongly. Because some change is seen as gain, and some change is seen as loss. I want you to do something with me this morning. You're going to have to trust me on this one. But if there's a pen in front of you on the chairs, if you've got one in your purse or in your pocket, grab, up, grab your pen, open up the bulletin to the last page of the white sheets where it says bulletin notes. I want you to do something with me this morning. I want you to write down three words back there on the back of your bulletin. Now, understand, this is not a pop quiz. You're not going to turn this in. No one's going to look at it um, unless you let someone next to you glance over at it. But you're going to write down three words for me. I want you to take down and uh, take a moment and think, and I want you to write down the three words that you think most accurately describes your personal reaction to the changes that have occurred here at RBC over the last six months. Again, you're not going to turn this in. I want you to be really honest with yourself, though. Now, don't overthink this. Don't, don't overanalyze this. Just put down what immediately comes to mind on how you have responded. Now, prime your pump. Look at some of the words up on the screen. Maybe some of these are where you're coming from. Either they are reactions you have had or they're ones you are still continuing to have. Troubled? Disappointed? Sad? Angry? Bewildered? Cautiously expectant? Depressed, weary, numb, anxious, indifferent, optimistic. What are your three words? Write them down. Again, you're not going to turn. You're not going to give these to anybody. This is just for you. But I want your thoughts to flow out over your fingers in a pen on paper here for a second. Take a moment. What are they? If you've been a part of the RBC family. Since last summer, why have such deep stirrings 
been a part of the common experience of this body of believers. Because depending upon how close or distant you were to the epicenter of events, there has been the facing of difficult change. Now, this may surprise you, but change is really not the issue. It's the transition that change, that change brings that's the struggle. See, we often think of the word change, and we think of the word transition as, as synonyms, but they're really not, even though sometimes we use them interchangeably. They're not the same. Change is situational. Change is uh, moving to a new city. Change is having a baby. Change is having an interim pastor. Uh, Change is getting a new job. Change is having your favorite restaurant closed. Change is beginning retirement. Change is what happens out there around us. But transition, on the other hand, is not situational. It's internal. It's the emotional and spiritual reaction that I'm having on the inside to the changes that are going on out there around me. It's, the, If you're honest, it's the three words you just wrote down. Or thought about writing down. It's grieving. Loss. Now, there's nothing wrong at all with the deep stirrings that we have in our transitions. That's what makes us human. That's our response sometimes to the very difficult providences of life that God allows to enter into. The danger is not from the emotions that uh, we are feeling. Rather, the danger is from how they make us afraid of what's happening to us. So in the inside of our minds, sometimes we, we start thinking, what is wrong with me? Uh, why am I crying so easily or so often? Why have I become more stoic or unfeeling or just kind of numb to life? Why am I struggling to forgive? Why have I disengaged from people, even those closest to me? Will I ever feel normal again? Will the sense of a black cloud ever go away? Ever had any of those kinds of questions? Especially in the last six months. The wonderful thing is that the answers to those kinds of questions is found in God's Word. So I'd like for you to open up your Bibles this morning. You've seen it on the screen. It's in your bulletin. But we're going to go explore around in Isaiah 43 this morning. And a, a paragraph there where the prophet Isaiah spoke to a people who were watching their world collapse all around them. Their nation, as many of you know, the history of, of Israel had been divided by a civil war. And then just recently to this time here in Isaiah 43, the northern kingdom of those tribes had been defeated by an aggressor nation and all of them literally had been deported out. They were gone. They weren't even living there anymore. Now the southern kingdom, the very people that Isaiah is speaking to, they were in a moral free fall. And they were, and Isaiah has been warning them in, in the passages leading up to Isaiah 43 of the enormous life-altering changes that are coming because they too are going to be defeated by an aggressor nation. They too are going to be exiled just as they've seen their brothers and sisters in the northern kingdom. What's happened to them? It's, it's going to happen to them too. Everything that they cared about. Everything that they cared about, their homes, their fields, their family, their friends, their national identity, their temple, it's going to be lost. It's going to be gone. 
It's all going to get ripped away, and their lives are never going to be the same again. Imagine what three words they wrote down. (laughs) Yet into that very dark picture of what the future is going to be like and what it feels like at the moment, there comes this beacon of light offering hope from verse 16 in Isaiah 43 down to verse 21. And these verses walk us through how do we face change, even potentially massive change, personally, corporately, as a church, and also how to see the Lord Jesus walk with us through those transitions and give us a hope that we can come out on the other side in a good way. So look at your Bibles. Look at Isaiah 43, starting at verse 16, and it all begins by being told by the prophet, remember what only God can do. Okay, get your Bibles open. Verse 16. The prophet says, Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Okay, real quickly, what historical event are those words pointing to? Right, it's what God did at the Exodus. The incredible act of redemption that God pulled off in the history of Israel, that's what he's pointing back to. Likewise, Isaiah is trying to say, remember the encouraging truth that God is the only one who can bring us out of what we're caught up in. And again, remember the early chapters of the book of Exodus that describes these events in more detail. Chapter 14 describes how the supernatural work of God divided the seas so that his people could take that final step of getting out of Egypt. But before that sea divided, what was going on? They were trapped. They had no way out. And God showed up in this miraculous act of redemption, rescue for them. How like us? Some of the, fate, some of the changes that we're facing... And the resulting transition, again, that internal sense of what we are experiencing. We're put in a situation where we need our own personal exodus, a rescue, a redemption. Because we're trapped. Somehow we've gotten into something that we can't get ourselves out of. We don't have the resources, we don't have the wisdom, we don't have the energy to get free. We can't do it. But Isaiah is trying to remind us, but God can. God is the only one who can get us out of whatever it is that we are caught in. That's why I love the gospel. The good news of the gospel. Jesus himself in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 tells us what he came to do. He's quoting Isaiah when he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, the Messiah, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. Other place in John chapter 8, verse 36 Jesus said, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
He is the only one that can get us out of what we're caught in, and we can't, we can't do anything about it. Now, Isaiah's quick review of, of, of the Exodus here in verse 16 and verse 17 is also meant to look, have us remember a second thing that only God can do. Not only can he bring us out of what we're caught in, but notice also in those verses that he can defeat those seeking to defeat us. Again, verse 17. And it tells us and reminds us with such a few words what happened to the Egyptian army when they tried to follow the Israelites through the divided sea. The Lord brought those waters back together and drowned them all. And some of our transitions, they come as a result of the actions of others. It wasn't really what we did, it's what others did. And that, that's all splashed on us now. And, and it can make us feel like we're, we are being attacked because what's been changed, what's been removed from our lives. And the pressure of that, that can feel so intense, it feels like we're on the edge of defeat and we just want to give up, we just, we just want to give in. And it's at that very moment that Isaiah is saying, no, no, remember what only God can do. Remember that he's got the miraculous ability, just like at the, at the Exodus, to defeat any direct or indirect attack that we are feeling. He is our mighty warrior. He is a strong one to save. That very opposition, which is so enormous, so overwhelming to us, do you realize it says nothing to him? Again, look at the text. Look at the last phrase of verse 17. They lie down, they cannot rise. Why? Because they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. See the imagery there? Like a cla- it's like a candle. How do you put the candle out? Either do one of two things. Either blow at it, or children don't do this. I mean, this is for professionals. You lick your fingers and snuff it out. That's what the opposition that you're feeling right this morning is like to God. He is not going to break a sweat to have victory over it. To him, it's like... That's our God. He's the one that can defeat those who are seeking to defeat us. Oh, Romans 8.31. We sang about it this morning. If God is for us, who can be against us? One of my favorites is Psalm 118, verse 6. Man, I I, I traffic here a lot. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. So we're in here in the middle, whether it's personal, whether it's corporate of unsettling transition because of the changes that are swirling around. Isaiah says, remember what only God can do. He alone can bring us out of what we're caught up in. He alone can defeat those that are seeking to defeat us. Now look at verse 18. Because suddenly now, there's a a shift that occurs. There's a shift from remembering what only God can do So now Isaiah says, okay, now remember, though, what only we can do. We've got some critical choices to make. We're going to see these in the the verses from verse 18 down to verse 21. There is something that we are to pay careful attention to. And these next verses are going to reveal three choices to make. Now, let me be quick to say, though, these are not a formula. 
These choices are not like, well, if I do A and then I do B and then I do C, I'm guaranteed to get D. That's not the way, that's not what's happening here. These choices will involve us in a process. So instead of looking at these choices like a formula, it's more like being involved in tending a garden. And many of you do that. Many of you have gardens. So you put the seed in the ground. You water it. You add fertilizer to it. You remove the weeds. You water it some more. But over time, you see something begins to grow. And so all along, the choices that we're going to be looking at here in just a moment, what they're doing is they're, they're encouraging us to be a part of a process. So whatever transition you're facing, whether it's change that's been a part of RBC in recent months, whether it's something personal that's in your life that even just popped up this week or has been there for quite a while, the first phase, the first choice that we've got to make is in verse 18, and that is accept the need to let go of what was. Verse 18. God says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. What does that mean? I mean, it can't mean forget the past completely, Because verse 16 and verse 17 just reminded us of what God had done in the past, and we are to remember those things. So what's the intent of verse 18? The intent of verse 18 is that I am to relax my grip on my past. I mean, think about this. What is our typical response to painful change? We want things to remain the same. We just want to, get, we want to go back to the way it was. So our knee-jerk reaction is, is somehow inside we're trying to hang on tight to what our life was like before. We liked it the way it was. Why? Because it was comfortable. It was convenient. I'd gotten used to it. That's what I want. But notice, to begin to work our way through a transition, the beginning is an ending. The first phase of letting go is a letting go of what was. Please hear me this morning. RBC is never going to be the same. Now listen carefully also. That doesn't mean that everything's different. But there are probably some things that you desperately have loved about the past that will never be the same again. See, most of us are not very honest with God in prayer. I know I'm not. We usually say what we think God really wants to hear coming out of our lips instead of really telling him where we really are. Like the three words that you wrote down or were thinking about. Can I encourage you this morning to invite the Lord to meet you at those deep stirrings, those words those three words that were that are yours. Because that's where the new beginning is going to start. It's with an ending. For example, it's being honest in prayer to admit to him, Lord, I didn't want this change. Tell him that you miss that person. Tell him that, you, that their absence hurts you. Tell him that you resent having to adjust to a new normal. My friends, God is big enough to handle those kinds of prayers. He can handle it. 
Go ahead, verbalize your questions. Lord, why this? Lord, why now? Lord, why me? Again, our God is big enough to handle our anger, our tears, our questions. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8 tells us that He is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, and He will comfort us in our troubles. Are we willing to admit our troubles? Our transitional struggles with the change that's been going on around us. This isn't theoretical for me. I'm sure for most of you this morning, it's not theoretical for you. I'm having to work through this. 2016 was a rough year. My 96-year-old dad, who I dearly loved and was a mentor in my life, died, went home to heaven. Still deeply miss him. Always will. We moved back from North Carolina to Colorado after two years of investing ourselves in a church as their interim. I miss those relationships that we had cultivated and people we'd grown to love. We've just moved here to a new community and everything's new. We don't know anybody yet. Now, understand, I'm not really complaining, but I would love to feel normal again. Do you understand where I'm coming from here? This this is the kind of stuff that God can handle. We take to him and say, I'm struggling, Lord, on the inside. Please come meet me here. And it's part of having him help me relax my grip and let go of what was. And again, it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. This is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us, conforming us to, to the image of Jesus Christ. And as we choose to go there, we're going to come to a second choice here in the passage, which is the second phase, the second part of the process of transitioning something deep inside of us. And that is not only do we accept the need to let go of what was, but look at verse 19. We are to engage in the journey of what is. Look at verse 19, the first part of it. Behold, God says, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Notice, when God allows change to enter our lives, it's because He's got a new thing in mind. Some of you need to, in your Bibles need to underline that. Verse 19, Behold, I am doing a new thing. And notice that new thing is not to be missed. It is springing forth. Now, unfortunately, the English language springing forth, you think like, boom, there it is. Not really. That, that, that The word springing forth is describing to us the sprouting of a plant coming up from a seed. And it's true. I mean, there are some seeds that when they finally get going, almost overnight, it seems like something's coming up. But the whole germination and growth of that plant, it takes time, doesn't it? It's a slow thing that that occurs. So typically, we're not going to see the end from the beginning in this new thing that God's doing. But do you not perceive that something is changing and and developing and, and God's hands and fingerprints are all over it? Now look at carefully at the text. 
Notice how the environment of this new thing that we are to engage what is is described. Look at the last part of verse 19. Well, let me start the front end again. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? The answer is probably to people going, no, what is this new thing? What is God doing? He describes the environment of this new thing. Look at the end of verse 19. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The new thing will involve us in a wilderness experience. I'm going to describe this for a moment. But just think for, for, for right now, typically a wilderness in our minds today is typically a visually stunning location, isn't it? I mean, some of them are mountains, some of them are deserts, some of them are, are frozen ice areas of polar regions of our, of our world. And each year people spend Thousands of dollars to go visit places like that. But there's the point. They only go to visit. They don't go to live there. Why? Because by their very nature, wilderness, which if you break the word down is wildness, (laughs) it's not comfortable. It's not convenient there. I mean, typically it's a remote, lonely situation. The weather for most of the year is brutal. Living there means going without the amenities and comforts that we enjoy. No restaurants, no fast food, a tent for minimal shelter, a sleeping bag for a bed, self-coverage. Yeah, right. Non-existent. And if we're living there, most of the hours of the day are spent in just surviving. So we don't mind if a wilderness is a picture on the screen of our laptop. But we would not want to spend much of our life living there. Okay, back into the text. But when God-ordained changes come, there is a season of time in the transition that's wilderness. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been there. God's taken you there. For a time, we will live a wilderness-like experience where it's a season of waiting without a clear end of when this, clear end inside of when this is going to end. It's unnervingly quiet. God just doesn't seem to be saying a, a lot of new things to us. We feel alone because maybe a lot of former structures of support have been removed from us. Not not much seems to be accomplished in in the wilderness. We seem to be spending most of our time just surviving. You know what the hard part is about it is that when we are in a wilderness, there are so many people around us that almost seem to be living, though they're physically near us, they seem to be living in another world where there's a lot of activity, there's a lot of progress, there's a lot of satisfaction in their lives. Just, I'm not getting it. In the wilderness, the old is gone. It's fate or fading. The new, the new has not yet arrived. And it's easy to feel in the wilderness like we're in some kind of limbo or, or emotional and spiritual wilderness. And there doesn't seem to be any direction in my life. And it's confusing and it's weird and it can tempt us to believe that there is something terribly wrong with me. And that's why the text doesn't end. Because look where verse 19 and verse 20 then now take us. 
Oh, I'll make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And the wild beasts will honor me and the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself. Notice, look at the two important things that when God takes us into the wilderness, he says, I will supply for you. First of all, verse 19, I am making a way in the wilderness. God will supply direction. Again, the wilderness may feel like downtime, but there is a purpose, there is a point to it, and our God will lead us through. Again, imagery of the Old Testament exodus going on here. Just like Israel was led through the wilderness to the promised land, we want to be able to explain him now. Never be ashamed of not being able to explain God in your life. We want to be able to do that to other people. And he just simply says, Rick, will you trust me? Just follow. Trust me. But not only will God supply direction, I'm making a way in the wilderness. Jump down to verse 20. He will supply provision in the wilderness. I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland or deserts to give drink to my chosen people. Again, imagery of Exodus should start flooding back into our minds as our God has no problem of bringing sustaining water out of rock. I've been around enough well diggers in my life. They never go into solid rock to find water. God has no problem bringing what we need from a direction we didn't think it could ever come from. He will not only supply direction, he'll provide or supply provision. What's being asked of us here? What, what can only I do? Remember, to let go of what was. Second here, to engage in the journey of what is, even though it may feel like and look like a, a wilderness-like experience. Third choice at the very end of the passage that's part of this transition, verse 21 that they may declare my praise. Anticipate the joyful day of what will be. See, the end result is coming to a new beginning. Kind of strange. It's kind of weird, isn't it? The beginning is an ending, and the ending is a new beginning. Very ironic. But this is what God's got in mind. He wants us to be able to stay in the wilderness, letting him lead, trusting him for his direction and his provision, so that we are going to be able to look back and praise God for how he led us through. And God wants our lives, even in the transitions that we go through, to have a positive expectation of the future that he's going to bring. Not what I can manipulate and control and put together, but what he is going to bring. Of course, the key element in all that is what? Hope. In our transition, in my transition, in your transition, have you asked God to ground you in a steadfast hope? Romans fifteen thirteen. Again, I traffic here a lot. May the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, Jesus Christ loves the church. Jesus Christ loves RBC. Do you believe that this morning? He loves this body of believers. And His plans, as Jeremiah 29, 11 tell us, are not to harm us, but to give us a hope and a future. And as we remember only what we can do, accepting the need to let go of what was, engaging in the journey of what is, we can anticipate the joyful day of what will be, proclaiming the praise of Jesus Christ, who's led us and provided for us. So the needs to remember. Change? What's happening around us? Transition? What's happening in us. But go back to the very part, the very start of this passage. How did it begin? Thus says the Lord. Folks, Isaiah 43, 16 to 21, does not give us the wisdom of man. It does not give us the wishful thinking of man, but insight into the ways and purposes of our God. And by the way, do you realize he who never changes has no problem asking us to change? Isn't that something? As we rely on him who never changes. Remembering our confidence is in only what he can do. Remembering that, yes, we, we, we participate with him then in realizing and remembering what only we can do. And he's going to give direction and provision as we let go of what was, engaging in the wilderness of this wilderness journey of what is, and joyfully anticipating the new thing that will be. Why don't we take a few minutes and let's talk to the Lord about this stuff. Let's pray. And as you're sitting there in your chair, I don't know your life. I sometimes have a hard time even explaining mine. But could it be this morning that as you're sitting there, maybe you need to take your hands and open them up, palms up, and just lay them in your lap, but palms up towards heaven. And could your prayer need to be something like this? Lord, thank you for the reminder from your word of what only you can do. And I'm hanging on to that. I need your personal rescue. I need you to be my strong warrior to bring a sense of victory to this sense of defeat that I'm just carrying. Lord, in my life, I need to let go of what was. Lord, I want to engage in a journey, even if it's a journey in a wilderness for a period of time here of what is. And I want to stay faithful. Come hold on to my heart that is so frail, so fickle, so prone to wander. Keep me following you so that one day I'll have the joy of being able to testify. Look at what Jesus Christ has done in me.
in us. Father, may I not stuff, may I not try to just dismiss flippantly my three words. But to bring them to you and to say, Lord, this is where I am. Thank you that you're big enough and strong enough and great enough to meet me and to lead me forward. Father, I want my transitional reactions on the inside to become more and more like Jesus Christ with the changes that are happening and have happened around me. Oh, Father, those are the prayers of your people. It's the prayer of my life. Father, may it be the prayer of each one of us in this room as we thank you for thus says the Lord. And Father, we are going to give you the praise one day as we look back and see what you had in mind and what you were doing here at RBC and in our own lives personally. So we give you the praise by faith in advance in Jesus' powerful, rescuing Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.